full circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Buenas noches, mi gente, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Broadcasting from KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the East Bay. It has been two years since quarantine and a lot has happened. And in the beginning, many people were reevaluating all aspects of life. Tonight, we discuss how queerness and resiliency led to insights over the past two years in the hopes of remembering these lessons so that they may inform our choices in 2022 and beyond. You may want to reflect and even journal during tonight's show, as these conversations will spark some important ideas, thoughts, and or memories to consider. I am your host, Sentient Shiloh B., from Huchin, also known to settlers as Fruitvale in Oakland. Grab your tea or your preferred evening beverage and your journal and get comfy as I transport you to our virtual Zoom living room conversations. When I think about it, I feel like it's been almost like a five-year gap. March of 20. 20. See, like I'm having a hard time even actually being like, okay. During that time, I just remember I was preparing myself mentally and physically really kind of rough months on the land. By rough, I mean putting in physical labor and, and, and work. And that also comes with dismantling a lot of struggles that sometimes a lot of folks don't go through because they're not a queer person or a two-spirit person. And on top of that, a queer person of color, an indigenous person of color. You know, we're so deep into this pandemic that we, it's interesting to reflect how it felt in that first week. The next day, it was like, oh, California shut down. And the level of affirmation from even just my partner, but also my friends and beyond, because my family was kind of on the same page. I just think my vivid imagination helped me realize we would be going for at least a few months. And then my adopted German grandma, Karina, was, oh, it could be like years. So I just think that my per- my perspective, it took a while for some people around me to warm up to that reality. 2020. I mean, I think at that point, it was still so unknown how long this process was going to be. And I remember I was talking to colleagues, talking to clients about moving to Zoom And it was very much this idea that it was going to be temporary. There was this real false sense of that we could predict when we were going to see each other again. So it felt scary, but also manageable because there was this idea that it was a temporary situation. Little did I know that I would never go back to my office again and never see some of my clients. I could have never anticipated the kind of degrees of loss that would would follow. At the beginning of the pandemic, my biggest concern was around loss of community. Very, very central to my life as an adult has been to, you know, create and construct this very highly intentional chosen family in San Francisco. And as part of like a pretty coherent, like queer community here, 
in the Bay Area and just feeling immediately like, how are we going to have community when they're saying we can't leave our house? And my instinct was to propel myself to action, to think about what I could do to channel that anxiety, to channel that fear about the unknown. I thought it was going to be for a couple of weeks. There was something actually sort of a relief to think that there would be a little bit of a break. You know, I had a couple of things that had to be handled at that time because I was teaching college. You know, the other thing that happened was I immediately thought, well, I want to take photographs. And I also knew you're really supposed to stay in your house unless you had to go out and do something that taking a walk was going to be really important. It would be like the one time that I could leave my house. Two words come to mind reflecting on that moment until right now, which is December 17th, 2021, and it's poetry and grief. So I'm actually in the house that I was in when we found out that coronavirus was actually an official pandemic, but I was on vacation. So I was in Portland, Oregon on Chinook Multnomah land. And I just remember feeling like everything is going to be different. I keep seeing this image of a tree getting like fully hauled up by the roots, like all the debris, everything, like everything's exposed. I remember feeling like no trust in established government and thinking like, okay, we got to figure out how to take care of ourselves. Like right now, I know a lot of us have been doing this anyway, because of compounding crises of colonialism and racism and climate. There's just been so much movement and loss and change for the last two years. We are back on the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. You are listening to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM and kpfa.org. I'm your host, Sentient Shiloh B, and I just played a little from five interviews with six different queer voices, each remembering what they were thinking and feeling in March of 2020 in the beginning of this global pandemic called COVID-19. In reverse order, you heard, lastly, the voice of Kat Petru, a queer Jewish cultural producer and co-founder of We Rise. And before her was Victoria Highwell, a feminist lens-based artist and curator. And the fourth voice was from Dr. Philip Hammock, a UC Santa Cruz sociology professor and author, preceded by words from Jessica Tracy, a psychotherapist and professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Before her, the interdisciplinary artist and co-founder of We Rise, Nicole Gervasio, was the second voice in the collage. And the first voice was from Victoria Montano, a first-generation two-spirit Yaki Mashika interdisciplinary artist from Huchin, also known to settlers as East Oakland. Do you have your journal handy? What was your response or reaction back in 2020? How did you cope with the fear, anxiety, isolation, and loss? Do you remember what you were feeling in the beginning? What were your initial thoughts, ideas, and reactions? COVID-19 instituted a global pause, and the power of the pause provides space to slow down, to rethink participation and cultural production to re-examine relationships, power dynamics, 
and to reimagine social systems and structures. And this redesigning of the rules isn't a new experience for people who've been marginalized. So tonight, we hear part one of Rona Reflections on queer resilience in COVID times. It includes six different voices of the queer community who know this place of redefinition and navigation. A sociologist, a psychotherapist, a feminist-based artist, a cultural producer, an indigi-queer interdisciplinary artist, and a social justice media maker and dancer. My hope is to offer you with an opportunity to reflect and note your own growth, skills, and insights before they are forgotten. And I am looking forward to hearing from you all and possibly sharing your stories in future Full Circle broadcasts. I will let you know later on in the show how to contact me. But right now, back to the insights and lessons learned from Gervasio, Hammock, Heilweil, Montano, Petro, and Tracy. You know, I have always been somebody who has been a bit of a workaholic. I think having some moments where that wasn't possible was kind of a relief. My observation of people who did better mentally during the pandemic was people that were able to look at it as an opportunity for something, looking at things in a different way or an opportunity to rethink something about their life or how they live their life. We're able to say, well, what can I do? For me, it was a very productive and prolific time for me. I just made work differently and I even curated differently and looked for opportunities within the scope of what was happening to see like what I could do to keep being creative. And it really changed actually like how I'm making work. So this idea of play and experimentation and making more time for things that don't have an already predetermined end result was kind of a big shift. So actually my very first act within like the first weekend of quarantine was to gather some community leaders in San Francisco virtually via Zoom to talk about what we could do potentially for queer nightlife workers. I think the experience was mostly affirmative in the sense of affirming my capacity for resilience and affirming the bonds of the queer chosen family that I had created because, you know, we effectively became each other's pods, really cultivated a real deep intimacy during that period. That sense of success and resilience and the support that I had has really helped to propel me towards more growth, particularly in the domain of like relationships and kind of new connections. You know, I have a whole new level of appreciation for those because we couldn't have them or it was so challenging to have them. Well, I mean, I think also the pandemic did provide me with the opportunity to develop parts of myself that I I wasn't really actively developing. One key one being my introvert side. I mean, you know, I was like super extroverted before the pandemic. And I really welcomed the opportunity to spend a lot more time alone, to spend a lot more time in nature rather than in urban social settings. I am definitely taking those things I learned about myself into the next year. There was a lot of, I think, a reliance on going outside and that being the, the coping mechanism, even though we couldn't, I couldn't see friends and family, couldn't see community. We could go outside for a walk and connect or have a way to stay connected and to ground into nature and then 
when the fires hit, it was a moment of the one coping strategy we had was taken away. And so in that, that moment, I definitely felt like I was really in the same boat as my clients. I'd never felt that before in my work. So there was something hard about that. And there was something very connecting about that in this moment together, having to find creative new ways to cope. And I think after the orange day for me, and I think for a lot of other folks, it was a forced entry to sink into self-exploration rather than going outside and doing these things. It was like a returning to depths of my own and how to ground myself with not a lot of resources from the outside in the ways that I'd known them before. I'd say one of the biggest takeaways that showed itself on a personal level was how fast we were all going. As someone who is anti-capitalist, thinking I was moving slow, and then the shutdown showing me how much more slow I I can move. We are inspired as artists and creatives to create and inspire and nurture the people around us. And then we realized we both had loss in our families, this understanding that like, oh, we cannot create and do this work because we will burn out. We will also harm ourselves. We may create more harm for people around us by moving at this fast pace if we are not listening to our bodies and not making space for that grief we're going to not do any work for a month and just take care of ourselves. Activity flows and inspiration flows. And so to sum up, a big takeaway was that slowing down, hibernating, going into a chrysalis was so necessary. It nourished our relationships and it nourished our creativity. As soon as we were done, we were able to show up with so much more energy and focus. It was so powerful. By the end of our hiatus George Floyd uprising began I mean if I actually just like think back a little more to that time being a person that has been called uh, to reconnect with the land with the soil I don't really I feel like it's, it kind of never really changed for me because I still had to be on the land and tending to like that soil and in particularly tending to to this land that I was raised which is the village of Huchin in like Lishanolomi territory I'm like how's that gonna work I remember being you know like hearing about COVID in fall of 2019 we had already heard that this virus was making its way I came back sick and I just remember like being really sick during that time and having to just adjust to to this other pandemic because I feel like as a person of color a queer person I feel like we've gone through a lot of these things called pandemics so like the violence never stops or never has stopped coming for our bodies. And so like, again, for me, from my personal perspective, I kind of had to adjust and take in what was coming. Even till now, we're still in the pandemic. So it's like adjusting. What is the world going to like shift to now? Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org, your cultural affairs magazine that airs every Friday at 7 p.m. I'm your host, Sentian Shiloh B, and I have invited you all in to contemplate and ruminate on these past two years of COVID. For those of you just tuning in, we are listening to voices from the Bay Area queer community on resilience, recognition, and revelation during Rona times. Their bios will be posted right after the show on kpfaapprentice.org, as well as the uncut versions of each interview if you want to hear them in totality. And please reach out to me 
and email me if you want to share your stories for part two of these Rona Reflections. How is your particular pandemic picture show? What are you noticing? When you were forced to stop and pause or when you were deemed essential and forced to show up while the rest of society was locked inside, what did you learn about yourself, about your relationships, about your priorities, about your purpose, about your place, about your practices? Do you remember the orange apocalyptic days in September of 2020? Did you develop any new skills, new habits, or even new ways of coping? Have you been able to hold on to any or just some or all of them? How are you really? Please reach out and let me know. But in the meantime, let's hear more from my December interviews, which is part one of Queer Resilience in Rona Times, as each voice notes what was significant to them. What I noticed is this kind of fragmentation of culture, this kind of fragmentation of community. So it really was clear that people were living different pandemics. And so I think what was really lost for me, I mean, of course, before the pandemic, it's not like there was some uniform culture that, that everyone was participating in, whether queer or not queer. But I think a, a sense of a unified understanding of reality <laughs> was was actually lost during the pandemic. And, and I mean that even among queer folks, there's people doing very unsafe kind of foolish things um, and not thinking about the collective or the common good. And that was really disappointing to me. But I think that what's happening is at the more kind of cultural or sociological level is that we see more and more fragmentation of experience. And with that fragmentation of experience comes a fragmentation of community, kind of hoping we'd have this grand reopening and most people would be vaccinated and, you know, the pandemic would just kind of, the COVID would just kind of slide down and, you know, it just didn't. I mean, as far as like my teaching, I spent a lot of time like learning how to be much better teacher online and there were a lot of valuable things in it but it was a lot of work for a job that's already very underpaid and very underappreciated having to completely rethink and reimagine and redesign all your classes was incredibly tiring and time consuming and my experience of how other people thought about teachers I mean, I'm not K through 12, so I didn't have it as bad, but the kinds of things that parents said and thought about teachers and the ways in which people were not standing up for us, our unions, the government, the states, the cities, it brought out some of my own frustration, my thoughts about maybe that I was done with that part of my life have definitely been hastened. It's too thankless a job at this point. I don't think there's been any acknowledgement at all of what teachers went through and, and how they rose to the occasion. I think all of their labor has been fairly invisible for most people. Uh, older women matriarchs that I look up to and them reiterating that, you know, this might just be the beginning of one, like climate change, other pandemics, you know, other diseases coming. And the constant reminder that our people, you know, they try to exterminate us with diseases. 
spiritual warfare and yo like this is just like another thing that I have to adjust to and like directly I just went in my brain I just directly like shifted the elders in the community and my parents I already knew I could see it all in my head that there's still people that have to work and obviously there's going to be people of color like we're at the bottom of this food chain all over again so it was this sense of anxiety and you know after I just started to feel like this extreme loneliness of not being able to be around my community and not being able to be around like family members, you know, and kind of just like being like, what comes next? We have to prepare for it. This work has been like preparing us for, for things like this. We have been learning how to make medicine and traditional medicine, and we've been learning how to reconnect with traditional medicines because we had learned that years prior, we were able to hand that those things out to community members. And yeah, it was a huge shift. It's a lot to think about right now, actually. I feel like I'm just constantly that person that's like, we're in a pandemic, like we're still in a pandemic. There's collective grief, there's still collective anxiety, and there's still so much unknown. And I feel like I've just kept saying that because, you know, I think people want to act like things are quote unquote normal. Like they want to go back to what they think is normal, but normal was never normal for me. Relationship became so vital. It always was, but I moved. I left the Bay, I left Huchin, which is like where I'm born and raised and We Rise is really rooted there in many ways. And because of the pandemic, our work became remote. And I don't feel like place is any less important than it was when we started. One of the practices that has sustained me in the last two years is most mornings starting by going outside and feeling how intimately connected I always am with the soil, with the trees, with the air, with the sunlight or the rain. And like that humility of like being, as one of our teachers says, like a grain of sand on the beach. Because then the other word that comes to mind, I guess, is the unknown. I was so scared at the beginning. And part of what feels healing in the context of a global pandemic that, as Nikki said, like, doesn't necessarily have a clear end in sight. It's revealing so many levels of violence and injustice that are baked into, you know, U.S. imperialism, etc. There's a lot to be scared of. It's easy to feel fragile and uncertain in the face of what lies ahead of the future. But I think starting to feel a relationship with the unknown as something that's generative, as something that's inevitable anyway, that there's something robust and to begin to trust that change is going to keep happening and finding home in different ways. So We Rise is home. It's place-based and it's not. My relationships are home and they change. My body as home, uh, my ancestors as home. That summer and then also the first time that I kind of entered back into physical space with folks was during the protest. And so that was also, there was something about being really choiceful about where I used my body and where I decided to go out in public. And I think that for queer folks, like having to be really choiceful about the spaces that you enter and how safe it is or not safe. And so it was, I felt like there was something about 
making more of a choice of, I'm not going to go to the grocery store, but I'm going to go to this protest that feels more meaningful. So there was also a lot around that summer in having to be really decisive and choiceful about purpose, I would say. We dream about different ways of living. I have lost or let go of anything because I have been living in community that know that there's alternative ways of living and that we've been working on building that and making that happen, even though mainstream or hegemonic cultures don't know it. So many of us are working towards that every day. It's just more of an affirmation that now other people who are feeling this unknowingness and we need to rebuild or redo the way that we are moving through the world. For a lot of us who've been dreaming of alternative ways of living, it's an affirmation and also it's almost making it possible for people like us to actually create more change because of this bend in the matrix and it's COVID creating this stress and revealing all the flaws in the, the coding in the system that's existed for so long. And yet for some people, they needed that kind of shakeup to, to think that we can shut down and we can make big changes to take care of each other. And that almost that the scariness and unknowingness is an opportunity for us to find common ground and connect with people. This is an opportunity for us to rebuild relationship with each other and vision and create another future for multiple futures for all of us that can support and sustain and nourish all of us. I'm gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. As I turn up the collarbone, my favorite winter coat. This wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street. Not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind, pretending not to see them? I 
Hey, hey, it's Friday night, March 18th, 2022, and you're listening to KPFA's Full Circle that airs every Friday at 7 p.m. here on 94.1 FM KPFA and kpfa.org. Do you want to make a change? That song, Man in the Mirror, from Michael Jackson was first recorded in 1987 and released in 1988, and it still applies today, especially I'm going to make a change for once in my life. It's going to feel real good, going to make a difference, going to make it right. And later, he says, and no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. That's what's inspired this show tonight. Who do you see when you look in the mirror? What changes do you want to make? Or did you make in these past two years? What ways did Miss Rona and her cousins impact aspects of how you show up in the world? And what's your relationship to the unknown now? Are you pining for BCT? That is, before corona times? Has your relationship to time changed over the past two years? Again, this is part one of queer contemplation in the course of COVID. And listeners are invited to reach out and let me know your feelings, thoughts, memories, stories, and or coping strategies. I want to hear it all. I'm your host, Sentian Shiloh B, and I would love to hopefully air your experiences in part two on a future Full Circle show. My email and the bios and contact information for all the voices you hear tonight will be on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, right after the show. Up next... Gervasio, Hammock, Hywell, Montano, Petro, and Tracy discuss some lessons learned. There is something as as you're talking about time too that has been really hard to kind of hold on to. And so the markers of time have felt more strange than they have before. So I really like this idea of being more conscious about what you're bringing forward. I think just feeling the the fragility of life in a new way. And this is this is not a test run. This is not a joke kind of feeling. Um, I've lost people to COVID. Most uh, many people I know have lost people to COVID. And seeing that on a global scale, we can't rely as much on planning for the future. So I think there's something about staying in the present I think that that might be purpose in and of itself is just being present to what is. There's this theory in Gestalt therapy. It's called the paradox of change. The idea is once you're with something and just accept it, then it shifts. And I'm sure there's many other traditions that have that idea. So I think conscious presence is is a radical shifter. People are really kind of wanting to journey more inward and are letting go. There has been a whole kind of trend around slowing down, getting out of the rat race a little bit, no matter what industry you're in. So I think that's conversations that people are having more around purpose, around ephemeral nature of life is, is just up so much more. And there's been moments of like profound kindness and connection to that. I think people aren't taking for granted anymore. And I know that I've had times of feeling so grateful for my work because I'm able to witness what people are actually going through. And it's this, a lot of pain, a lot of loss, and the fact that we're able to connect around it and that they're able to talk about it is really beautiful. I hope you're taking care during this deeply transformational time. It's a time of great loss and grief. I'm Filipino, and so I have a lot of 
family on the front lines and the hospitals as nurses. So there's a collective loss and grief. And yet also it's a spiritual, cultural death as well. It's an end of an era. It is deeply transformational either way. And we can realize and we have the ability to realize that we have autonomy through this transformational time. If we remember it, it can lead to a lot of more beautiful futures that hold all of us. The gift of time with oneself provides a context for a, a certain level of exploration that can potentially result in an uptick of authenticity for people. And, and the story, you know, we were in the driver's seat writing it. I mean, that was the feeling. And then the pandemic came along and, and we were knocked out of the driver's seat. And so then the question is, how are we able to reclaim a sense of agency? How are we able to reclaim authorship of that life story? And I think it is through making certain decisions based on our own self-discovery, intentional decisions about what we want our story to look like now, seizing opportunities to be more and more authentic, whether that is coming out if someone hasn't come out. For me, it's actually been more around being more elaborate in the labels that I use to describe my gender and sexual identity. Things like demisexual, for example, which is definitely a, a term that I came to identify with during the pandemic, or also queer. I mean, for a while I was identifying as queer to kind of signal certain kind of political and, and inclusionary kind of stance. But for me, a, a big part of that self-reflection process during the pandemic was to reclaim aspects of my bisexual identity that I had set aside in those like really binary years of the 90s when I was coming out. So for me, like the, the label queer is more appropriate because I just realized like I'm attracted to multiple genders. Yes, I have this longstanding history of the sort of gay men's community, but that doesn't necessarily mean that these other labels, these other terms aren't perhaps more appropriate to me as I understand myself better. Now you actually have the time to slow down to be really intentional, to recognize, uh, and, and to reclaim authorship in, in my story in that way. And that's very empowering. I've been knocked out of the driver's seat of writing my life story. How can I reclaim authorship? How can I do it in a way that feels authentic? And exploring more of that language and my own feelings around gender and sexuality was a privilege. So I think having a certain degree of humility about the power of our authorship is also important and just recognize because we can't control all the conditions, you know, in the same way that I also couldn't control the fact that I was born in a particular historical moment in which thinking around male sexuality was extraordinarily binary, you know, but, but through the stories we write, we can change the culture, I think. And that's a decision to make about one's own life story. I mean, I think it caused me to think about different ways to have art in the world and different ways that people could be exposed to art. What's unfortunate is I think there were some really interesting moments during the pandemic that I don't know that we could get back. That we're still in the middle of an interesting moment of re-examining institutions of art, things like museums and galleries and stuff took such a big financial hit that they're still recovering from it. And then they also took big philosophical hits of people like finally really calling to task who it is that gets represented in these worlds. I actually felt that there was a moment where the art world felt so much more democratic and open. And already I can see that slipping away too. And most museums did not step up to the plate. 
Like, I feel like that's been one of the biggest things for me is just not putting myself first and thinking about community. Folks, you know, they started doing food distribution. People are starting to help left and right. People are like growing food and, you know, people are like, you know, I'm going to start my own garden. I, I'm a person that represents different communities, first generation, Yoeme, Yaki, Mashika. So, and I'm from East Oakland. I speak Spanish too. I just felt like there was all of these. I'm queer. I'm two-spirit. I feel there's all these communities that needed my support. You're trying to be like there for everybody all at the same time. One of the things that I let go of was the individualistic mindset. And even then, I feel like I grew from that. Now, food distribution is something that like we still continue to, to do with the Segorite Land Trust. We started actually growing our own stuff. So like we would harvest our own foods. This year, we solely focused on elders. So they could get their hands on like healthier foods. Yeah, so I guess I gained the skills of of farming um, and tending to the land, getting more familiarized with some of the issues, like some of the foods that could help our elders, certain diseases that that impact our community more and what are like the medicines that could help our elders step away from like pharmaceuticals and more into like traditional medicines and just herbal remedies and stuff like that. So that's another thing that I gained. Thank you for joining us this Friday night on Full Circle 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org, your cultural affairs magazine that broadcasts every Friday at 7 p.m. and is produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I'm your host tonight, Sentient Shiloh B. from Group 46. Hey! Asking all of us to consider the impacts of COVID on our concepts of self, of purpose, place, priorities, and relationships. As we bear witness to six different queer voices speaking on insights, lessons, and meaning-making during the pandemic tonight, I would like to hear from all of you about this new normal, whatever that means, as I extend the opportunity for you all to consider it for yourself. For those of you just tuning in, we are listening to voices from the Bay Area queer community on resilience, recognition, and revelations during Rona times. And of course, I have so many more questions for you to consider as I am constantly curious and inviting you personally to flood my inbox with responses as I would be honored and humbled to hear from all of you in the Bay. What skills did you gain from this global pandemic? What ways did you shift or pivot? Your connections, your practices, your purpose, your place, your priorities, your understanding, of society. For those of you just joining us, we are listening to voices from the Bay Area queer community on resilience, recognition, and revelations during Rona times. Their bios will be posted right after the show, as well as the uncut versions of each interview, if you want to hear each conversation in its totality. And because the theme for tonight's show is queer resilience in Rona times, I asked each person to discuss what role queerness plays in their lives, especially in relationship to purpose. Listen in to how queerness influences each person's perspective. Again, we're hearing from Gervasio, Hammock, Hiawal, Montano, Petru, and Tracy. I have such an appreciation for spectrum amongst all the things as an artist, dancer, educator, collaborator, all the things. I also do dance. Having the space to tap into the spectrum of feelings and emotions and expression through dance as a femme somewhat petite Asian person in this culture, I've been conditioned to not be angry or take up space 
and how amazing it was to channel not just anger, but the whole spectrum of emotions in a big way on a dance floor. And it helped me really just embody my full spectrum of myself as a person. And it made me see the world in spectrums and nuance, whether it's relationships, people, in collaboration, in society, in in the classroom, in relationships. I feel like I thrive as connective tissue. And I think the ability to see spectrums in people and relationships and the way we could be in the world is just much more infinite than, you know, this culture of binaries. The refrain that I keep hearing is we take care of we. And that has been something that cropped up since summer 2020 and obviously is ancient and I feel is really reinforced by my queer community, friends, chosen family. In some ways, I'm someone who has straddled worlds and was really conditioned and socialized to get that full-time job with benefits, go to college, have a one life partner. And as a cis woman, it should be a cis man. And I still get caught up in that illusion. (laughs) One of the most healing things that has happened in this move many miles north of the Bay where I'm born and raised is that I found this incredible rad, anti-Zionist, anti-racist, queer Jewish community. And I'm someone who's a descendant of Holocaust survivors. From that trauma, there was assimilation that happened as I've learned more and more about the breadth and depth of what it means to practice and participate in decolonization in this lifetime. Knowing who I am and where I come from is so vital. And so the singing, the meals, the candle lighting, all the ways we are able to care for one another and ask for support, just challenge the nuclear family, right? As Nikki said, like hegemonic culture is organized. And I think that was like that similar to like one of my first impulses when we were like, okay, this pandemic is happening was like, we really have to not be organized like that because it's so unsustainable for us as like little creatures and also for the earth. More of what I've thought about in my work is feminism. Talking more about like the general idea of othering and being outside of like patriarchy than yes. I think that's where I see it the most is this idea of feminism and what does it mean to think of yourself and your life and your art in a feminist lens, even though a lot of my work doesn't look like what people expect when they hear feminist artists. Had curators and other art world community be like, I I don't understand how this is feminist or wanting it to be more clearly coded as feminist. Maybe that goes back to this idea of like queer identity and being outside of a binary is this idea of why do you go to the obvious place? Like why is femininity supposed to look like this one set of things? And if you say that you're a feminist artist, then why is there an expectation that you make a certain kind of work? Historically, queer folks having to create something before it's existed like particularly around spaces like having to create a space before it's there and so I think there's something around or create a family create a chosen family these ways of of finding things kind of in the void and I think that that informs how I work with folks like folks of all orientations um, around a, a trust that that something can be created just by the desire, even if that thing that's created is just a different thought. 
So sometimes just trusting that like humans hold the truth inside of them, even if there's not a reflection of that yet in the outside world. Being a two-spirit person right now, just even having the term two-spirit to identify with, two-spirit is it's a very broad term. It's basically for an indigenous, indigenous queer person, a person that's indigenous and queer, pretty much open for them to come back to like those other roles, those other third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh genders. So it, it's pretty much open for us reclaim our our places back with our people, with our lineage, with our tribes, with our clans. So I feel like right now this duty that I don't take lightly to like continue the path the previous ancestors, two-spirit ancestors have put forward for me for it to be a little lighter on me so that I could continue this work for the next generation. Yeah, I feel like wherever I go, because of who I am, wherever I am, I'm able to like speak just my truth and my story and you know, able to like say who I am, speak of my ancestors, where I come from. You know what? I'm an indigenous queer person. History that hasn't been touched on for a while. Yeah, so that's how I use my identity, speaking my story and answering questions, I guess, and like trying to continue the work for, for the younger generation so it could be a little lighter on them and so that they could continue it again, kind of speaks to some of the privilege of being queer and already having had the opportunity to see the ways in which our life stories were taken off the path, so to speak, that they were supposed to be on. That's the whole challenge of kind of coming out, I think, is that people are like, wait a second, this isn't the life story that I thought I was supposed to be telling. And so in a way that there's a privilege to that that I think enhances our resilience. For one thing, I've become somewhat allergic to this notion of kind of aggregating or lumping in anyone who holds any kind of minoritized gender or sexual identity into some single group, you know, uh, with the LGBTQ uncomfortable plus sign. So I think that for me, it's really made me want to kind of focus on issues of diversity and heterogeneity among those who hold minoritized identities and to have that be the focus in its own right instead of trying to focus on what might be shared across uh, all members that I think is very true to the original definition or conceptualization of queer to really think about like limitless possibility because that's what my own experience of coming to explore the labels that best suit me and to realize like there's all these labels it's not just this one these are ideas about you know fluidity and kind of limitless possibility around queerness that part of what queerness i think prescribes is constant commitment to challenging what's expected what's normative so in that way i guess the pandemic really invited everyone's life course to become queer in some way now that i'm thinking about it and we're back on Full Circle, your cultural affairs magazine, here on KPFA 94.1 FM and kpfa.org. I'm your host, Senti and Shiloh B. from Group 46. This show has been a labor of love and a call to living into the love ethic I discussed two weeks ago. Let's collaborate in this COVID context and create communities of care. Let's do the work of transformation and connection with each other. Let's design a future founded on multiplicities and mutual fulfillment and aid. Let's support and love each other and celebrate our shared humanity. 
Part two will focus on the voices that reach out to me, as well as how to transform social structures into space and places where we support strong relationships, healing, and just practices. How to collectively and radically imagine a way forward amidst this pain and anxiety. To get us started in imagining this way forward, I asked each speaker to offer advice or a call to action, and here's what they said that our education system is inherently racist and flawed. Our art lens is inherently European white male. And so our standards of what is good art is incredibly flawed. And so what I would like to see is more critical discussion in the art world of what does it mean to evaluate art? What does it mean to say that somebody is a talented artist? Like, how do we make those evaluations? And how can we rethink how we make those evaluations? That's the place where I think it would be interesting to have a little bit of a revolution. Having like a big discussion about what do we think of as talent? <laughs> and what do we think of as you know, exceptional art, why do we think it is exceptional? And not just people of color. I just think a lot of people get left out of the art world and the academic art world. They don't fit in it. They're really outside of it for all kinds of reasons. Someone is feeling kind of lost because it, it can feel overwhelming. It's like, where do you start to begin that journey? You know, we mentioned that chrysalis hiatus. Really spend time with yourself the work that we do and we rise is deeply guided by our ancestors. There's so many movement ancestors too. There's such wisdom from people, leaders, lives that have been doing the work, right? And we can learn from them. I'm so grateful for the, the knowledge and wisdom from our family and our lineages, the lands we come from. There's so much wisdom there. Remembering who we are helps us show up better in these deeply treacherous unknown waters that we're in right now, and also our movement ancestors. But also in a time of climate crises and like so many crises, so many front lines, we need to look to indigenous peoples and the front lines they are fighting for because that's right there in front of us. We are on this land right here, right now. I mean, I think one thing that comes to mind, particularly because a lot of folks have been struggling with isolation and depression and as we trust ourselves and trust each other to speak about what's actually happening for us that in and of itself is helpful for the person who's struggling with those feelings and helpful for other folks who can't speak about it yet so i think there's something about speaking your truth and then also getting involved with your community in some way, even if it's just online, even if it's a short amount of time each day, a reminder that even though we're, we might be all in our apartments or homes or wherever we're residing alone, that there's so many connections that are available to be made, even if it's just knowing that you're not the only person feeling isolated. My instinct is just around kind of truth-telling and risking being speaking your truth with folks that you feel comfortable with, folks that you feel safe with, kind of getting involved with your community in the way that feels meaningful to you. The Grace Lee Boggs quote is, 
There are times when expanding our imagination is what is required. We got a shout out Anjali Nathupadia, who's the founder of Liberation Spring. I first heard this quote from her from Dr. Angela Davis. She says, you have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. I think there's something to be said for knowing and or believing that that transformation is even possible because it's really hard to move if you don't think you're going to be able to have any impact or affect any change. And also like, it's okay to not feel like it's possible to make change. We're going to have days when it feels impossible because there's such a level of grief and fear and rage that if we're feeling feelings, we're going to feel like it's inevitable. And so you can stop and you can rest. You can lay your body down. You can ask for support. I think like being with all of it is how we move through it. I just wanted to add this deep healing work. I feel like we're living in a time. It's a trend. Everybody, you know, feels that urge to like want to heal. So I just want to ask people to look into who they are and their ancestry and honor that. I know a lot of people because of the atrocities that have happened don't have that. But I just hope that people are able to find something that like holds them healing it's it's not easy and it's very painful and it's hard work so I just want to ask folks to like give themselves some time to like just relax and be with themselves and honor every emotion that you feel in the process be there for community provide space safe spaces for folks and be there for each other if you can letting go of all of that opening your eyes more you know what the land needs what earth needs and just keep remembering that I'm here in this present time. This is a time that was selected for me to be alive, to inhabit this body. Keep trying to be gentle to myself and be like, you know what? You were selected to be here right now and do this work. Speak your stories, speak your truth. So just stay true to that and know that it gets hard and you never stop learning. If you walk in a good way with practicing gratitude and try to walk with love and, and honesty, we all make mistakes. I just feel wherever you're at, there's a movement happening to pay attention to that here in this fake country. <laughs> wherever you're at, you're on like stolen indigenous land. Pay attention to wherever you step, recognize that and research like what's going on in that area. Who are the people of that land? You just tap in with all the injustices. Tapping in again with the Indigenous People's Age Five is a group of five women identifying and two spirit identifying folks. They're facing a possible felony charge for an alleged toppling in Marin County of a racist colonizer, Juniper Osera. Adopting a mindset in which we, including all, all of us in queer communities, really think and recognize issues of like power and history uh, within our communities. And so, I mean, to me, it's like until people are really able to think about their own identities, in those critical ways, can't do the, the necessary coalition work that's required, I think, to advance the, the broader cause of sexual and gender diversity. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially diving into like anti-racism work and thinking about, yeah, just the kind of dominance of whiteness in a lot of queer communities and thinking about how that can be addressed. So how do we address questions of truth and reality 
in this time. And I don't think the pandemic, I mean, you would have thought that a really unified experience of a pandemic might have helped us with that. And it didn't. The call to action for me is very much around truth and reconciliation, actually, in the United States, truth and reconciliation within queer communities. How can we work towards it while also supporting people and just being authentic, promoting their well-being? And that brings us to the end of tonight's show, part one of Reflections in Rona Times. I asked so many questions. Is your hand cramping from all that journaling? Do you feel inspired to tap back in? What did you remember? Will you share it with me and speak your stories in part two? Are you telling your truth? Do you know whose land you are living on? Are you believing, knowing, and acting like transformation is possible? What areas in your life do you want to radically redefine or revolt against? In what spaces in your life can you recognize power and history and how we got here? How do you support truth and reconciliation? How can you support truth and reconciliation? Do you remember your ancestors? Thank you for spending the last hour listening to the voices from the Bay Area queer community on resilience, recognition, and revelations during Rona times. I have been your host, Sentient Shiloh B. And remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show to learn more about the voices featured tonight. And email me your stories, insights, memories, reflections, questions for part two of Rona Reflections. Let's collaborate in this COVID context and create communities of care. Shout out to the Full Circle crew, our executive producer, Miss M, Joy Moore, our production consultant, and Free Willen Franklin, our technical director. Thanks for showing up to radically imagine what is possible and to witness and welcome these worthwhile words tonight. May love as action continue to move you in all you do in 2022. And as always, Thanks for tuning in, and remember to tune inward to tell the truth about yourself and how you show up in this world. That is the only way forward to transformation. Stay tuned to KPFA. Up next, La Onda Bajita. Buenas noches, mi gente.